The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. We're going to look at a book of the Bible that we don't look at very often uh, today, the book of Ecclesiastes. And I thought it'd be wise to set up a little bit, uh, tell a little bit of the background of Ecclesiastes just to, to help us understand it a little bit here. So, uh, first of all, uh, the Old Testament has 39 books. Now, um, they, it is not really completely arranged chronologically. It is somewhat chronological, but the way it is set up is the first five books we call the books of the law or the books of Moses who wrote them or they're called the Pentateuch too. And then there are 12 books uh, going from the book of Joshua down through Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther that tell the history of Israel. So we call those the historical books, okay? Or if you're a really clever Bible school student, you call them the hysterical books. We used to do that and thought we were real funny. But anyway, uh, then you have five books right in the middle of the Bible that were called Poetry and Wisdom. We're going to come back to those in a second. There are five books that are called the major prophets and 12 that are called the minor prophets. The only real difference there, it doesn't have to do with the five major ones are more important. It has to do with the length of the books. The five major ones are like Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah and Daniel and then a lamentation gets thrown in there because Jeremiah wrote it. Uh, the minor prophets are usually much shorter books and those are some of the names that we don't know or the... You know, we find down a lot in Amish country. You know, you got Zep Zephaniah and Zechariah and Obadiah and all those things like that. Actually, I say that I shouldn't because my son's or my grandson's name is Hosea, uh, so he's one of them. And Joel, that's a perfectly normal name that everybody uses out of the minor prophets. Uh, but the ones uh, that we'll focus on here in the middle are those books that are called the books of poetry and wisdom. Now, Job is a little different in those books because it does have a story. But the story is contained in the first couple chapters and then at the, at the end. In the middle, there are a bunch of speeches that are kind of in the form of Hebrew poetry. So that's why this fits in here. Psalms and Proverbs you might be a little bit more familiar with. The Song of Solomon is actually uh, a love letter. Now, it's in a language that probably is not going to make too many Hallmark cards, cards today. Uh, you'd laugh a little bit if you knew some of the language uh, of it. It's, it's a little different, but it very much talks about just the beauty of romantic love. It's uh, the relationship between Solomon and a lady we know as the Shulamite maiden. But uh, the book that we are going to focus on today is that fourth one there. We're going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, that word by itself means teacher or preacher, but the key word of the book that you find throughout, depending on the translation that you have, you're going to find the word either vanity or you're going to find the word emptiness over and over again. Because this is written by Solomon and he is talking about all the places that he searched for meaning in life and he found them to be empty or vain. Now, it's very important when you read the book of Ecclesiastes that you read it to the end because you got to get to the last couple verses where he gives his conclusion as to what does have meaning in life. Otherwise, it could be kind of depressing because he just says that was meaningless. This was meaningless. What a waste of, of life. But we're going to look at some of that in a minute. I did want to mention, though, throughout the book, um, <laughs> he, he is pointing out things where he tried to find meaning and didn't. I used to say you know, when I taught teenagers that I'd stand up and I'd say, hey, the secret to life and the, the way to be happy is not by having a lot of money. 
But, you know, they'd kind of look at me, and even though, according to statistics, I am in the top 10% worldwide of earners, just so you know that, that's worldwide. Uh, maybe I'm real close to the top 5%. The kids never looked at me and thought, that guy has a lot of money. <laughs> Apparently, I just wasn't communicating that message through the way I dressed and, and different things like that. So if I t I'm telling teenagers, hey, money's not going to make you happy. They're thinking, how do you know? Uh, if I'm telling them, hey, wisdom and knowledge is not going to make you happy, again, they were looking at me thinking, how does he know? <laughs> and then Solomon, of course, had many different wives. And if I tell them, hey, having a lot of women after you is not going to make you happy, again, they looked at me and thought, that guy was lucky to get one pretty woman to marry him. Uh, there's no way he was ever a woman's man, so how does he know? So I'd always point out who the author of this book is. Solomon was a guy who had a thousand women. Solomon was a guy who was considered the wisest man at the time or maybe the wisest man to ever live. Solomon was a guy that had unprecedented wealth at that time, perhaps the wealthiest man in the world at that time. So when he said, I didn't find fulfillment in these things, we sit up and we pay attention. Okay, the passage we're going to look at is in chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes. And it is, uh, again, he is going to start with this idea of vanity. So he, he said... Uh, again, I'm sorry, this is, I forget what verse in chapter 4. It's not, it's not up there. But if you're following along, chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse number, it looks like 9, 7. That's what I meant. <laughs> Thank you for coming today. Uh, okay. Again, he says, again, and again, he's been listing all these different things where he finds emptiness. He says, I saw vanity under the sun. He says, one person who has no other. Think about that phrase, one person who has no other, a person who is all alone, uh, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of this pleasure? This also is vanity and unhappy business. Now we're going to come back and talk about him in a few minutes. But then the writer goes on, and he says, then the writer goes on, and he says, what? Uh, two are better than one, uh, because they have good reward for their toil. And then, and then he lists some specific things about where it's good to have two. For if they fall, one will lift uh, up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift them up. And then he goes on. This is kind of, again, two lie together and they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Now, in our culture today, you might be thinking, ooh. Uh, but in the culture back then, of course, where men would travel or whatever like that, and they'd be out in the cold at night, it was important to have somebody else there sometime just so there could be some body warmth there. Now, we'll take that later on and apply it more to today. Uh, but that's what he's talking about there. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, if he is attacked, two will withstand him. So he says, two is better than one, two is better than one, two is better than one. And then he says, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So two is better than one, two is better, three is even better. Okay, but he goes on a little bit more there. He talks about a king. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to throne, uh, though in his own kingdom he had been poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun along with that youth who, who was to stand in the king's place. There was no, uh, I know that this, this section is not as clear when you first read it. He said there was no end to all the people whom he led. He had all these people who followed him. Yet, 
Those who come later will, re will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and striving. So he has all these people who follow him, but he has no real friends. And when the day comes when he is no longer king and he doesn't have those, those people around him that somewhat have to be there, then he is all alone. So as we explore this, I, I wanted to mention a couple weeks ago, uh, Pastor James preached and he talked about isolation. And I realized we're kind of coming back to that same idea. Um, I didn't get a chance to listen to James' sermon because we didn't get a good recording of it. My wife took thorough notes, though, and told me what was in it. Uh, I realized there might be a little bit of overlap, but this was a passage back in January when we read through Proverbs. I thought, hey, I'm having a pretty good time. I'll just keep reading into Ecclesiastes. And when I read through this, I thought, okay. Well, uh, they, I think the Lord has uh, something that he'd like me to share in here. So we're going to take apart here a little bit of look, look at this, and we, we need to begin to do that by realizing the emptiness of isolation. And that's a little bit redundant, but that idea of this guy that says he, he was, there was no other, there was nobody else with him. He doesn't have a brother. He doesn't have a son. A couple years ago, uh, I was on a cruise ship, and... Um, one afternoon, I wanted to go into the uh, steam room. So I walked into the steam room on this cruise ship. There was one guy sitting in there. I thought about should I change the story till we were on the deck so you didn't have that visual imagery, but I was in the steam room. Uh, and I walked in, and this, this guy's sitting in there, and I started up a conversation with him. And uh, he was a, a little bit of an older man, and, and uh, he, I said, you know, hey, what's, what's the occasion when you're on the trip for? And he said, oh, he said, I just sold my business. And he wanted to tell me how much. I, I didn't ask. He said, I just sold my business for $22 million. And, uh, and he said, I'm here to celebrate. And I thought, you could do better than Carnival. But anyway, uh, but, it, but he's sitting there on the, on the ship. And uh, he's, he's uh, you know, so I, I continued the conversation. I said, so who'd you bring along to celebrate? And he said, uh, oh, nobody. He said, I'm divorced. You know, the kids, they don't really have too much to do with me. So this poor guy, he's celebrating this, his retirement, and, so I do, and he's sitting there by himself. I, I, I've hurt for him. If he wasn't wearing more than a towel, I'd have given him a hug, you know. But he, you know, he was, you know, I was like, you know, this is just too bad. But I think that's what this picture is talking about. Here's a guy that's working, and he's saving, and he has all these things. And he says, hey, you know what? This is empty. Okay, this, this isn't filling up. As I was reading through this idea of the emptiness of isolation, there's a couple of phrases a couple of quotes that I, I thought were worth sharing with you just as we bring it into today a little bit. And I always want to be careful. I am trying hard in, in my advanced years to not become that old guy. You know, it's like, you young people and your cellular telephones, you know, and I, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be in any way attacking technology when I say this. But as I read this, first of all, this was written by a much younger person. So if you could imagine Pastor James up here preaching this instead uh, and saying this, because I'm really not in any way attacking technology, but at the same time, if we can realize that many times today, we need to beware of the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. Now, the best illustration for that is probably true in most all of our lives. How many times do we choose to text instead of call? And why do we do that? Because it's easier, right? And, and for, for many people, I mean, we really get kind of caught in this trap of, hey, I've got, uh, you know, 476 Facebook friends, so therefore I must be popular. Uh, I must have a lot of friends. And, you know, if we can just remember, those aren't real friends. I'm sorry. Uh, but in a lot of cases, we take the easy route and we steer away from real friendship because friendship has a price. 
A second quote that I thought of along this idea of isolation in today's world is beware of side-by-side isolation. Now, I remember, and I've told you this before, my wife makes fun of me. I have weird random memories from my childhood. But I remember hearing this sermon. I remember hearing a pastor stand up, and he was preaching against Johnny Carson. Now, some of you have no idea who Johnny Carson is. Uh, Back before there was Stephen Colbert and Jimmy Fallon, and even before there was Letterman and uh, Leno, there was this guy named Johnny Carson. He was the late-night guy. But I remember this pastor standing up and saying, Johnny Carson... He was a little bit more preachy than I am. Uh, Johnny Carson, he is ruining marriages in America. I remember him saying that. Because no longer are couples uh, spending that time, closeness, and connecting at the end of the day. They're sitting there, and they're turning on the television, and they're watching Johnny Carson. And he was having a fit about uh, this. He was going on and on preaching against Johnny Carson. Well, I'm not sure that anybody's watching Colbert that much or uh, whoever else is on on now Fallon and and the other people but I do think this and you see this everywhere in marriages and everywhere else you see two people who are side by side and what are they doing they're on their phone okay and again I'm not trying to be old guy you young people put your phones away but I do think it is worth us kind of just looking at our lives and saying, hey, is that where I am? You know, if I shut other people that are important to me, am I able to put my phone down and spend some time with my kids or, hey, kids, or with your parents? Am I able to put my phone down, you know, when I'm out on a date with my wife? Am I able to, you know, set this aside and really just spend some time with other people? Okay, I think I think that this is worth us just thinking about it, and, and I hope you don't see this as you know old guy who hates technology because that's that's really not what it is. I got my uh, report on my phone today of how many hours I had of screen time. It said like three hours every day or something this last week. Seemed like a lot. Uh, I, I don't know, but uh, but I, I'm not I'm not saying throw your cell phones away or we'll be collecting them at the door on the way out. Everybody has to turn them in or anything like that. I'm just saying uh, I think a lot of times we've gone the easy way. And as far as when it comes to really connecting with people, we don't do that all that well. Now, in that second paragraph we looked at, he began to go into, by the way, this is a word, dangerousness. I looked it up. I wanted it to go with uh, the the other two words uh, fitting in there. But dangerousness of isolation, uh, if we could explore that. And I think he he brought that out very clearly. He talked about uh, those who fall. They need somebody to help them up. He talked about those who are, and we'll change this to exposed and vulnerable, somebody who needs help. And uh, and then when we are attacked, the importance of having friends in our life, why these are needed. Now, I wanted to ask or get you to think about this question here a little bit. Uh, I thought I'd capitalize on Bill Murray's resurgence of popularity since the Super Bowl commercial and and put him up there. But uh, I want you to think about in those situations when when, when I fall, when I'm vulnerable, when I'm when I'm hurting uh, and uh, and uh, what was the last one? Tact. Thank you. Uh, in those situations, I want you to think about who you would call. Do you have people in your life that at that point you can call? And I'm going to work bottom up for a second here. It, Uh, In today's world, most of us, there are exceptions, I know, but most of us don't experience physical attack. Usually the attack, again, comes in the form of an email or something like that. And I I wanted to say, 
uh, about that very quickly. Whenever I go to pastors' conferences, that's one of the things that they always talk about is, is that, you know, how pastors get attacked in emails. And I just want to say thank you. I really have not experienced that. So uh, first of all, I'll say that. But some of the ones, they'll bring them in and read them to the other pastors. Some of the ones they get are really funny. My favorite one from last year, uh, I just had to share this because I thought this was so funny. Some lady wrote in to this guy, to this pastor, and she was complaining, she said, because the church was having a pot potluck dinner. But here was her complaint. I complained too because, never mind. Uh, but uh, here was her complaint. I don't think, as God's people, we should be talking about luck. Uh, honest, I'm not kidding. He's reading this letter. She says, I don't think as God's people, we should be talking about luck. So she suggested in her letter that they change the name of it to a pot celebration dinner. Now, I don't know about you, but if I go to something called a pot celebration dinner, I'm expecting more than a potato casserole, uh, you know, uh, like, like that. But that, that was the complaint. But, but, but let's say that you have received, you know, an attack as far as an email goes or something nasty, you know, even that's been posted online or, or something like that, and, and you've been hit. Maybe it's towards your business. Maybe it's towards you. But you have been attacked in some way. Is there a person that you turn to? Do you have somebody like that, somebody you're going to call? You know, let's say you are in that place of hurting and vulnerability. Is there somebody? There you are in the waiting room, and, you know, maybe your spouse or, or your child is, is in there, and, and you're, you're in the hospital and you're waiting, and is there somebody that you can reach out to? And maybe you are fortunate. Maybe you have a lot of family around that you can reach out to. But may, I want to say that we need somebody in that position. I want you to think about those questions. Who am I going to call? Because we need somebody. When I am attacked, I, I need a friend I can lean on. When I am vulnerable, when I need help, I need somebody that I, that I can lean into. And actually, kind of working backwards, when we fall into sin, I want to talk about a little bit just how much we need somebody else. Now, uh, yesterday, uh, AJ and Amanda got married up in St. Joe, and they had the uh, rehearsal in the morning uh, at 10 o'clock, and, uh, and then the wedding was at 3. So I was up there, and I thought, oh, do I want to drive back down? And I thought, it's a beautiful day. I'll go sit by uh, the lake. So I went down to Silver Beach, just sat in the car. It was windy, so it's cold outside, but in the car it was warm because the sun's coming through. So I had a few hours down there, just me and my Jimmy John's turkey sandwich and, and, uh, and sitting down there. And I had a lot of time just to think about the sermon a little bit. And as I was doing that and writing down onto my outline the notes, this particular point kept growing to the place where finally I had to scribble this out on my regular note page and start a new note page just for this point. I tell you that because I, I, mean, I really feel like this is some things the Lord has laid upon my heart to share with you on this topic. I also wanted to warn you because I'm going to spend a while here. I may not even finish the sermon. I'm looking over here because I know there's a couple ladies over here get mad at me if I leave a blank out in the outline. We may not even finish, but I wanted to talk to you about this whole idea of when I fall into sin, do I have somebody that I can get help from. I, I, I think it is crucial, and I think it goes against a lot of things in our culture. Our nature, when we do wrong, is to immediately hide it. Now, that began in the Garden of Eden. What did Adam and Eve do after they sinned? They hid. Okay? That's just our natural reaction. I have done wrong. I'm going to hide it. Back at Christmas time, my son-in-law had his Ford F-150 parked in my driveway, and I forget what I was running out to get, uh, but it was like, you know, you need to run out and get something for dinner. So I jumped in my car, 
there's not usually a car in my driveway. <laughs> so, I, so I pulled out of the garage, and you could hear, my wife was outside. I think she was letting the dog out or something. She was like, uh-oh. Uh, and I didn't hit it a lot, uh, but I definitely scraped against this Ford 150. Immediately, I jumped out of the car, ran into the garage, grabbed some uh, rubbing compound, and ran back and said, oh, yeah, that's fine. Uh, that'll be okay. Never did tell my son-in-law. Uh, it got, 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 that, got that all off of there. But, they, you know, that's our immediate reaction. I have done wrong. What am I going to do? I'm going to hide it. That, that's, that's, what we're, that's what we gravitate. That, that's the way that we go naturally. And many times I think our churches have promoted that culture. One thing that, ha, that drives me absolutely crazy, uh, I, I wanted to make sure I had this right, four different times I have known of situations when I've pastored here where somebody had fallen and they needed help and they told somebody, don't tell the pastor. Okay? And really, it's like, oh, no, man, what am I doing wrong? Okay? And I, I, a couple things I want to say about that. One is this. I, I want to promise you that other than what I just said when I said four people have done this, I do not use you all as illustrations negatively. I promise you I do not do that. I know I, you know, I'll illustrate points and I'll tell a story of somebody. I will not use you. I, I, I have... 40 years of experience and people from the past that nobody knows that I can refer to their stories and usually I'm reading about a story and I see that I think sometimes the stories are powerful and helpful and I will use them but I am promising you if you have an issue I will not stand up here and say there's a couple that's not getting along very well uh, you know like that that's not where we're going okay I promise you I will do everything I can to protect that but I'm not even sure that that fear is the main reason why people would not want me to know when they fall there is this strange mindset you know again where I project a different person when I go to church and I don't want the pastor to know that I have problems I don't know how I can or what I can do to convince you of this that I am incredibly aware of my own brokenness and my own need for grace. I don't, I don't know how to tell you that enough so that maybe, you know, you'll understand that I'm not, you know, somehow holding myself up and you know, everybody else. In no way is it like that. The, um, probably about 20 years ago, I read a book called Transforming Grace, and the author is Jerry Bridges. He wrote in there, and he talked about the, how the apostle Paul, at one point in his ministry, he wrote these words. Uh, early in his ministry, he said, of all the apostles, of those who follow Christ closest, he said, I am the least. About three and a half, so he's comparing himself to the, those that were closest to Jesus. He said, I'm the least. About three and a half years later, he wrote, and he said, of all the Christians, I am the least. See how, where, where he went? He went from being, I'm the least of those who are closest to Jesus. In fact, if you compare me to all the Christians, I'm the least. About three and a half years after that, he wrote again, and he said, of all the sinners, I am the chief. I'm the main one. Now, I don't think the Apostle Paul was becoming more sinful. I think he was growing in his closeness to Christ. I think, truth is, he was probably becoming much less sinful, but he saw his own need and his sinfulness much more. And I, I hate to say this but I, I, because I don't want to, hey, he's comparing himself to the Apostle Paul, but that is very much a journey that I've been on too. I do feel like the Lord has matured me to the place where I think there is less sin, if you want to say it like that, in my life. But I am more aware of it than ever of my need for Him and of my own sinfulness. I want you to know that. I want you to, I want you to see, hey, I, I, I want there to be a place that is safe here that you can come to. 
and, and talk to me. Churches have a program. I know of one in South Bend and Elkhart and um, it used to be one in Niles, but it's called Celebrate Recovery. I don't know if you've ever seen that sign outside of church. It is, this is an oversimplification, but it, it's somewhat of a scriptural-based uh, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, a 12-step program like that. And uh, sometimes you get that vibe with, okay, that is for people that have some problems. And what I actually want you to think about today with me is we all, I don't know if you're going to like this statement, so stay with me. We all fall into sin. Okay, we all fall into sin. Now, some, uh, you know, it's going to be a sin that you think of that is, it tears down their, you know, there's, they could lose a job over it, uh, thievery or pornography or moral failure, or, you know, some type of integrity thing, and you, and you think, okay, that's, a, that's falling into sin. But I want to say we all fall into sin. The Bible says if any of us claim to be without sin, we're a liar. Okay, and I think that that is proven out and we all can fit into that when the Apostle Paul said hey there are things I want to do that I don't do and there are things I don't want to do that I end up doing we all fit into that category and since that's not something that I want to do I'm not diving into saying let it go I'm doing something I don't want to do I am falling or I'm struggling with sin so that that's why I say we all to some degree or not and just to be very honest with you for a second, just from my experience in churches, in many cases, there are big things. I, I, I don't mean, you know, this isn't preacher. You got some sin and we're going to find out about it. You know, that, that's not where I'm going. I'm just saying, hey, that, that's what happens because we hide uh, and we, we've learned to hide our sins so fast that sometimes it just stays there and it festers and it, and it gets worse. I, I would love to be able to get us to really grasp the, that idea that sin, grow, listen, sin grows stronger in darkness. It loses its strength when it's brought into light. I promise you that. And I, and I realize, you know, we, you know we're not going to start, hey, let's confess to each other on the way into church. What'd you do this week? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, and, and, and also I realize there has to be a safe place. And I struggle with this because I think this is so crucially important, but I don't always know, I don't ever maybe know exactly how to make this happen. I want you to have this. I want you to have this environment. I want you to have somebody to call. And I don't, you know, I'm not always sure I can make it happen. One of the things I try to do, and I, I hopefully you see this, I try every Sunday morning to pull back the curtain. You know, the Wizard of Oz, I am the big and powerful Oz, and then she's behind the curtain, and uh-uh. uh, I want you to see, uh-uh. okay? I, 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 want, I want you to see that. I, I want you to know that. But, uh, but this is not in any way like a spirit of rebu- rebuke. What's wrong with you? You don't have people in your life. You don't have friends. I, w- I want to try to figure out, you know, how to help you with this. And I, I don't know what to do other than, for one thing, I can tell you my experience. And my experience when I have a friend to whom I can go to when I fall. Okay? A um, f- number of years ago, a guy uh, actually w- was teaching and he was talking about, last week we looked a little bit about the story of David and Saul and that relationship, how messed up it was. But we also met a character just briefly in there by the name of Jonathan. Jonathan was Saul's son. And anytime anybody talks about friendship in the Bible, they talk about Jonathan and David. Man, they were great friends. There's a story where Jonathan, as an act of friendship to David, gives him 
and honoring him gives him his armor. Okay, now there's a lot of different pictures in that idea, but one of them that I want you to think about, if I am a warrior and I give you my armor, basically I've made myself vulnerable to attack. I have trusted you with something. When I confess my sin to anyone else, I am giving them my armor because I'm giving them, them, I'm giving them something that they could, with which they could hurt me. Okay, I just want to share this with you. I have had many opportunities to give my brothers and sisters in Christ armor. I do believe there have been two times when the person picked up that armor and smacked me in the head with it. But in every other situation, that has been the best thing that I could have done. And even in those situations, my other brothers and sisters rallied to me and helped me through that situation. I'm just saying that idea of giving somebody else your armor and, and uh, learning to trust. And I know, like I said, I have a hard time figuring out how to make this happen because I know there has to be a trust. One of the things, though, that I would suggest, and this goes back to Pastor James' message from a couple weeks ago. You know, he was just saying what you can do is be a friend. And what you can do is become that type of friend that is a safe place for other people. That is, that is a place that's not going to say, hey, i got to fix you right away and get you right, but to, this is somewhere where you can call. Because th- th- I, I, just real practically, we need a place where we can just tell somebody, I'm struggling with this. I have, once again, I have lost my temper and I yelled at my wife, I need to talk to somebody about it. Once again, I find myself on my computer viewing pornography, I need to tell somebody about it. Okay, once again, <laughs> uh, I've, you know, I, I want, I've asked the Lord about this controlling my tongue, and I just blew it royally. I just blurted out everything. I need, to, I, need to, I need to talk to somebody about this. There is incredible power in this whole idea of confessing things openly to the Father and also getting some help from our brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay? I, 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 I am going to skip over to just kind of something at the end uh, that I was going to say, kind of a closing illustration. The kids are going to come back up so we can leave singing. But sometimes when I feel like my prayer life has got in a rut of, God, I need this. God, I need this. God, could you do this? God, could you do this? And I, I think to myself, okay, why don't you spend some time just being thankful? And, you know, sometimes even Francis and I will be walking and, and we begin to pray and just try to make a list of things for which we're thankful. What goes on that list? Well, I start off with, of course, I'm thankful for my house and my car and my clothes and my fireplace. Those are not on the list. Okay, in fact, they say, in fact, sometimes Francis like reminds us, hey, we're thankful for that we have things too. Uh, what, what comes to my mind first? People. In, in, every, in every case, I'm thankful for the friends, the people that got the family, uh, the people that God has put in my life. And when you, you know, this guy that we uh, met at the beginning of this story, you know, this guy who looked and he has no one, and he looks and he says, hey, this is, this is just empty. And that's really where we end up. So I, w- I just want to encourage you to ask the Lord for friends, uh, to seek out being a friend, to be, you know, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, to be open to, hey, somebody's invited me out, somebody's done this, to be open to trying uh, different relationships, stuff like that, because I can't make a big enough deal about this whole idea of this is something that we need in our lives. Without other people, our lives are going to be empty. Without other people, when I fall, I've got nobody there to help me up. 
Without, without other people, when I'm going through a hard time, I've got nobody to call and say, hey, I need somebody to sit with me at the, in the emergency room right now. I need somebody like that. You know, without other people, uh, just, just in every situation, my life has so much less meaning. I guess that, that's the other word. We got vanity, we got emptiness. The other word sometimes that is used in Ecclesiastes is the word meaninglessness. And without that, that that's where we go. Now, I, I have to apologize to those of you that uh, didn't get your outline filled in. Like I said, I got in that one point, which was just going to be a quick mention yesterday, and I kept thinking, you know, boy, you know, this is something, you know, I feel like I should share and go through like that. But bottom line is this. God is saying that two are better than one. And the best solution for isolation is Jesus Christ and a relationship with him. Two are better than one. Three, that's even more better. Okay, get some other people, get somebody else that can be that friend that you help. And uh, throw even some more people in there, and that's most betterest. Okay, uh, but if we can get that idea that this is, and I know Pastor James preached on this a couple weeks ago, the idea that we, this is how we were designed, this is how God made us for community. We're not, we're not designed to live life on our own. And a lot of what happens in our, in our world is we get pushed into isolation. And I, I, I am most fearful about that idea of falling because when I fall, when I mess up and I hide it, it just gets worse. And even if I manage to get the victory for a while, it's coming back with a fury. I mean, it might be months later, it might, but, but I know it's coming, coming back with a fury. Uh, I have found in my life how much I need, my brothers and sisters in Christ, how much I need you know, they're pouring grace into my life, and I have found just incredible blessings sometimes in giving somebody else my armor and saying, hey, i got to trust you with this. And, uh, yeah, and I know, I'm not, I'm not saying you can do that with everybody. I know that. But, oh, how I pray that you will have somebody to call. I, I really do. I, I pray that we, that we can find that. I'm going to pray. Um, kids, why don't you go ahead and make your way back up. We're going to sing uh, one more song here. So we go out with a song on our lips. If you are really frustrated because I didn't finish the blanks in the outline, for $2 each, I will tell you what goes on those blanks. Okay, but uh, let's go ahead. Father, um, first of all, I pray that if anybody is, I, I didn't talk about this today, Lord, but if anybody is in isolation because they don't have a relationship with you, they don't know what it is to know you personally, uh, Lord, I pray for that person that you would stir in their hearts uh, just that desire uh, to know you, the need that they have of a Savior. And, Lord, I, I kind of, well, I didn't kind of, I stopped and just talked really about one thing that was heavy on my heart this morning. And I trust, Lord, that that wasn't just for me, that uh, some other people needed to hear that and they needed to know that. I trust that that's your direction as far as that goes. So, Father, I pray that we would learn the power of two and three and more in our lives. Um, teach us this, my King, I pray in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church. Or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.